Today, we got a special episode of the YVR Rebo Show. To end the year, we're going to highlight the top five episodes from 2022. Now I know what you're thinking. I've never heard this voice before. My name's Paul, and to keep it simple, I'm the media guy at Thrive Mortgage Co. Every week, I'm behind the scenes helping to bring you all of the education and the updates in the current real estate market. We've been working very hard these past few years, and we can't thank you all enough for all the support. If you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to leave us a comment and ask any question that you may have. Every week we're putting out new content, so hit that subscribe button to stay on top of it. We do this purely out of passion, so all we ask you is, if you're on Spotify, leave us a star rating. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. One minute out of your day means the world to us. Thank you again for an incredible 2022 for the YVR Remo Show. We can't wait to see you in the new year for even more episodes. This is the top five episodes from 2022. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. With real estate prices changing week by week and interest rates changing daily back in May, it left a question. Should you go with a fixed rate or a variable rate? In a changing rate environment, what are your options for both? Episode 115 will help you prepare for that and to make a better educated decision. Here's a snippet to give you an idea of the conversation that went down. Episode 115 is a great one to start with as a new listener. It features no guests and it's all about us. We're just dissecting the current market at the time. Enjoy. You are listening to this episode today with the primary goal of trying to understand when and if it makes sense to lock in your mortgage or go with a variable rate mortgage. And while we'll be very clear and let you know that we don't have a crystal ball, our goal today will be to walk you through some considerations to think about in both scenarios. And there will be some fours and against in both the fixed and the variable. And we'll talk about a few different strategies that a lot of people don't consider. Now our goal here is to talk a little bit about history, what's happened, where we are today at this point in time, and in addition to that, when and why interest rates change so you can make a better and more educated decision. Again, the real purpose and the goal of getting into this conversation, this episode, is because we get these questions five to ten times a day each, so you know, 30 times a day. And we know that there's a lot more to flesh out in this conversation than what one of us could provide in a few minutes time. So let's, uh, let's get into it. We're going to start off with uh, where we're at right now and why we're having this conversation, a little history. And we'll break down to you guys a full understanding of fixed and variable interest rates, what they are, like what they actually are, and, and get, uh, get obviously a full breakdown so you guys fully understand why and how you can pick these different options. So why don't we start off with where are we at right now, guys, and, and what's going on in the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously in an increasing rate environment, right, And uh, which causes stress no matter who you are uh, and how you've planned. It's, it's top of mind right now for everybody if you have a mortgage or are considering getting a mortgage. Uh, and that's why, like Alex mentioned, these conversations are are super, super common. And if you're listening to this, you need to take advice from people that understand these products and understand the market. You know, we can't all ask our parents if we should be going fixed or variable. Um, you know, 
most of our parents, people our parents' age have lived through the 80s and they saw the rates that went to 18% and and there's a bit of a tainted view uh, in, in that in that consideration. But, you know, right now, I think that if you're if you're in a variable make mortgage currently, your mindset is, do I lock in, right? So maybe we can just flesh this one out quickly because there's two concepts here. Number one, if you have a mortgage right now and it is variable, does it make sense to lock in? The second concept is if you're about to buy a home, rental, owner-occupied, whatever, are you taking a fix or are you taking a variable, right? Like these are two different conversations. Most people that are in a variable mortgage right now, if you took advantage of the rates that we've had over the last 18 to 24 months, your rate is probably very, very low. It's probably landing somewhere around 2%. Um, and if you ask me, I mean, converting to a fixed in the range of 4%, you are right off the bat committing to a, a rate that is 2% higher simply based out of fear. You are worried that rates are going to go to 5 6%. You think that 4 might be a happy medium, and if I land there, I'm good. Uh, these are obviously huge numbers, right? 2% on a mortgage rate is, is going to cost a ton of money over time in regards to interest. In my opinion, if that's your situation um, and, and your rate is around 2% currently, there's not a huge, there's not a make sense situation to convert to a fix unless it's a personality thing, right? If this is just stressing you out to a point where you're not sleeping and uh, you know, you're, you're constantly researching rates and you don't know what to do, I mean, there could be a conversation to go fix. But overall, if that's, if that's your current situation, uh, I personally am not going fixed and my mortgage is variable. So, I mean, I'll leave that off there. And if you guys want to jump in, I think I'd like to go a little bit deeper in the, in the backstory as to why we're obviously even having this conversation and what's going on right now as well. Um, I, there's like, to your point, you brought up where current fixed rates are and where variable rates are. We do have to put a date stamp on this episode, but I will be clear if you're listening to this episode in 2000 end of 2022 into 2023, this is probably still going to be impactful for you from that perspective. I mean, going even deeper and going historically speaking, where are we at right now on the rate cycle I think is an important consideration because if you and it's more difficult maybe listening to this than seeing this but um, there are things called rate cycles just like anything anything else uh, economically speaking we see uh, values go up or down when it comes to interest rates interest rates go up or down they don't always stay on the high end and they don't always stay on the low end so I think the first and most important thing for someone to consider or think about when they're thinking about different rate options is the cycle timeline now I pulled up a chart or a graph of the last 25 years so just historically speaking where are we at right now on that chart Back in 1990, uh, 1996, we were at the very top of a, a variable or, or a fixed rate cycle with prime at about 7.5% at that time. And since 2000, that was the highest that we've seen it. That was 7.5% for prime, not for the Bank of Canada's interest rate. That was for prime. Uh, since that time has gone on, we've seen one two, three, four different rate cycles that typically last between one and a half to three and a half years. And what that means is interest rates is once the point they started to go up to the point that they've gone down, it's about a two to three year cycle that they stayed up, okay? Now, generally when I'm reviewing this, so again, since 96 to from 98 to 2000, from uh, 2005 to 2008, and then the last time around from 2000, end of 2017, all the way up to 2020, again, two to three year cycles, interest rates on average only increased by about 2% across the board. So 
you know, when we look at it from that perspective, Derek, to your point, in the current rate cycle we are uh, we are at right now, which again will be date stamp, but we're up 0.75% from the bottom. If we use that same mindset that it would be up to 2% above the bottom, which is obviously there's no guarantees, but averages over history, then that would likely assume that we're probably going to see a 1.25% increase likely somewhere in that ballpark over the course of the next one to three years and then within a two to three year time span we'll likely see things table off and potentially come back down again there's no proof or guarantees on any of that but it's happened now four cycles and four times a great point all we can really use is the history of of our experience and 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 what we've seen with rates i mean back to 2000 that's that's quite a bit of data there i think you even mentioned the year 97 which was uh the last or the last half point increase was 2000 which which is is a significant increase in itself um, since for, I guess the better part of the last two decades, we've only ever seen a quarter percent increase. And I mean, a lot of experts do think that the half point in one shot could be a bit too aggressive. And then going back in, in 97, when they did do a, a half point increase, they actually did reverse that by a quarter percent, not realizing that it was too aggressive of an approach at that time. So, I mean, you know, your, your points are valid going forward and make a lot of sense, but could, could this have been a mistake? I mean, those are things that we just don't know, but, uh, but from his, what history shows us is whenever there are errors or, or when things are changing quickly in our economy, like the pandemic, the government does step in and, and they do show us that they will do whatever it takes to not allow this to implode and not allow this to get to that 1980s, you know, debacle, I guess you could say, um, you know, I think just proof is in the pudding. You know, you look at 2008, 2009, complete downturn. Banks in the U.S. were shutting their doors. The largest banks in the U.S. were shutting their doors, and not one bank closed their doors here in Canada. And and that shows that that we're clearly a stable economy and can manage these these types of crises or or increases like this. And and then to look at the pandemic when they did the emergency rate cuts to ensure that we didn't you know implode and and lose our lose our homes, you know, with the mortgage deferrals, it, all that tells me is that the government's really willing to make sure that we don't lose our shirts and, and do whatever it takes to kind of keep this moving forward. We brought Michael Ponty on episode 111 to talk about hot markets, key areas where we're seeing growth, outline opportunities that are available, and have a conversation about investing. Mike provided a sense of understanding of what real estate investing can do. Michael's Facebook group, Savvy Investors, is a great community of several thousand investors all across North America and the world. They share, build, and expand their community to help support people in their investing journey. As a frequent guest of our show, this episode stands out amongst them all. Here's a clip from that episode. Good to see you again, uh, old pal and a friend of the podcast and obviously outside the podcast. Uh, always, always, always great to have you on the show here and uh, to share your information and expertise as a guy who's not only on the ground floor when it comes to real estate investing, but also managing a group of 5,000 people, uh, multiple training programs and buying and selling a real estate every single day. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the show again. I already introduced everybody to you in the intro, so I think we're going to get into some fun stuff. Mike, what's uh, what's going on right now, man? I mean, uh, it's been an interesting year going into 2022 and some some shifts and changes. I, I hear that there's some exciting news coming down as far as what you've got uh, for for education for people, right? Yes, it is. First of all, thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Appreciate the opportunity to always share. It's always good to engage and talk to talk shop. 
It's always, I, I love it. This, I do this all day long. I can't stop doing it. It's always, always a treat. So thank you for the opportunity uh, to, to kind of share. And, and yeah, it's been, I think, a pretty interesting year to say it lightly in many different facets. The, the markets, different things are happening, government policies, new rent controls and appreciation, all sorts of stuff. And then on a personal front, um, yes, we launched a new, uh, a new platform called Elevate Academy, which is an enhancement of our training programs that we have through Savvy Investor. So for those that are don't know, we, we have a, a Facebook group, a great community of uh, several thousand uh, uh, investors across North America. America, and actually in some some cases the world and um, yeah it's, a, it's an opportunity where we kind of share and, and build and expand our community to help support them in their investing journey so that's yeah, been pretty fun I love it I love it now we brought you on here Mike today obviously to talk a lot about uh, some hot markets uh, some key areas where we're seeing growth um, some opportunities and of course we're gonna have a, a little bit of a conversation today to share with everyone uh, a recent deal that uh, you've closed and had success with just to kind of uh, provide people with a sense of understanding what uh, real estate investing can do in different types of facets. And I think that's also super exciting. But I think, you know, just getting into it right away before we get into talking about uh, Elevate or, or the deal and so forth, I think it'd be really key to start here about a hot, 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 hot topic in the industry right now, which is uh, Alberta. And, um, you know, I, I think Dean can agree with me here when I say this as well. It's not necessarily anything new to us. I mean, we've seen clients investing in Alberta for ages for the purpose of cash flow. But it just seems like nationally, it's, it's on the board now. Everybody knows that Edmonton and or Calgary has been and is a good place to, to look at buying and investing in. And we're starting to see that in the form of appreciation. It's been an interesting five or six months in that market, to say it lightly. Um, you know, we've seen appreciation. I was just looking at the stats before I jumped on here. Like Edmonton, year-over-year year appreciation is about 10%. Calgary, about 16.1%. And for us that live in Vancouver, they're like, well, that's not a big deal compared to what we've been having. But uh, the hockey stick of appreciation has really started to scale a lot. Um, and what we're finding is um, both of those markets, you know, the kind of the stars in a lot of ways have been somewhat aligned. And I'm not trying to promote Alberta or anything. Still continue to do your analysis and do due diligence before you invest. So don't just all go jump in, take the time to educate yourself. But I'm just sharing it based on what we're finding out on the market. Um, but in a lot of cases, you know, everything's kind of driven by an economy and what's going on. And the second piece that has been a new thing um, is or I shouldn't say it's a new thing, but it's been a much more um, much more much more visible thing is affordability. Um, and so the first one with the economic uh, economy, you know, there's always pros and cons to everything. And 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 the unfortunate situation that we're seeing in Ukraine, which is absolutely horrible and devastating, um, has also done some things that help benefit obviously Alberta. And this again, this is always the pros to the cons to these things. Um, as much as you hate this, you've seen oil prices kind of going through the roof. Alberta is a very oil-based industry, and there's a high demand for it, and it's even more high demand that we're seeing now. And the way the price per oil has gone, it has gone through the roof. And so now all of a sudden, things have started to pick up. You know, the economy's really driven from that, number one. But that's just one thing. Alberta has been struggling for multiple years. Like it's been a very long, hard slog for them. And, and so with that being said, 
Um, they've really started to diversify their economy in many different industries with tech and carbon capture and all sorts of different things that have been happening. So they started with their diversification. And then so now their economy is kind of running on all cylinders and everything is kind of just lined up appropriately. But this is the biggest thing that we're finding. Um, it's, it's really for a lot of people that are younger, older, or whatever the situation is. It is really about affordability. And we all seen the cost of inflation and everything that's kind of happening literally across the country. And when people are trying to get into homes and with increases of rent uh, rates going up as well, you know, no offense, but, you know, Vancouver, where I live as well, um, you know, it's, it's quite expensive. It's a very expensive place to buy. So when you've got younger generations, I've got young kids as well, how do you afford you know, and let's keep things really simple, a million dollar house when you're just 22 years old. And you, we both, we all know a million bucks is nothing in Vancouver. It's, it's like absolutely nothing. But how do you afford that? And so when people are, what we were seeing even back east in the last year and a half, I think is what's happening right now in Alberta. People in Ontario, um, and the one thing the pandemic's done, has been able to say, hey, I can work anywhere around the world. I can work from home now. So I don't have to live in downtown Vancouver or downtown Toronto. I can move somewhere and still work for the same company. Still make So why do I want to pay such an exorbitant amount of money for a house? And so we saw a lot of Ontarians actually moving out to places like New Brunswick and Halifax and Prince Edward Island, all these different things. And the market up there is appreciated drastically. You know, we're looking at over 30 to 36%, I think it was last year in, in, in New Brunswick, for example, in one year, 36%. And it's just gone through the roof with a significant migration. But now as costs have gone up there and inflation continues to go on, everybody's exploring where's the next place. Well, I hate to say this, prices have stayed the same in Alberta for years and years and years. And, you know, right now, and again, I'm not here to promote Alberta. I'm just sharing what I'm finding. But, you know, you can still buy yourself a townhouse, a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath townhouse for, you know, $200,000, somewhere in that vicinity, $215,000 with a basement. And when you do the calculation, you're just like, Wait a minute, that's way cheaper than I can get rent here. James Garbett returned to our show for a second time on episode 118. He's partner and realtor for one of Vancouver's top real estate teams, Garbett and Dumas. James joins us to talk about what's been happening with him the last few years. He has tons of feedback and knowledge to improve your financial situation and to understand the market. James shares his personal stories involving investing. His stories show both the up and the downsides of the market and provide valuable insight. We suggest checking out his first appearance on our show as well. Enjoy the clip and let us know what you think. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Jamie Garbett. It has been far too long since we've had you on. And I'm, I was looking back at the last time we had the show, had you on the show. And I think it was, honestly, I think it was before we hit episode 20. Thanks so much for joining us today, my friend. Thank you for having me back. It's great to be back. I think a lot has changed in the world since last time I was on. So look forward to catching up on it. I've been a landlord for half of my life. The way I like to say it is I, I think I'm trying everything so that I make the mistakes that my clients or friends won't. I have a long history of owning rental condos, uh, a couple rental homes. I tried a vacation property in the Okanagan. I had a few rental properties in the States in Atlanta that was, went terrible. Uh, so I, I've, I've experienced the different worlds of being a landlord for a nice, simple one-bedroom or two-bedroom condo and also a house that has fallen apart and also a house that is in a neighborhood that is that is pretty sketchy. And, and also I've 
I've upset a strata before and had them change the bylaws to restrict rentals. So, so I have I have a lot of war stories, and and kind of my my take back from that is I did a I did a lot to try to figure out uh, what I'm into and what I'm not into, and and it just overcomplicated. I guess I did so many more transactions than I needed to to get to the same spot. So now after last few years, I've taken a step back, try to realize what type of real estate investor I want to be. And, and the future is, is I'm getting into more of that commercial uh, side of the investing life. I think it's a part of a journey. A lot of people start residential and then one day they evolve into commercial. And the opportunities that I'm most drawn to are outside of the lower mainland. So I've, I've taken on uh, a project, well, I will be taking on a project for doing a commercial rental building in Parksville, which is exciting. Uh, early stages, never done one before, pretty excited about it. And then I'm in the process of trying to, I'm at the fourth reading coming up for a heritage revitalization in New West, which is another project I'm working on. And I was going to build a house in Deep Cove, but that's that's changing too. So doing a few different things here, heritage, new uh Modern in Deep Cove was on the list, but now it's not. And then yeah, some multifamily commercial on the island. The rental building play is interesting because I, th I feel like those are becoming more and more needed and, and communities and the government are really pushing for those, right? So um, going into that, maybe you don't want to share all the details, but what type of incentives are you receiving from the community to build that, if any? Maybe I'll take a step back and why rental building and on the island. You know, I, I think... what. <sighs> Where do I begin with this? The the uh, the return. So the the cash flow in the island is great, and and I guess why rental building? You know, I, I sell real estate. I do condos and townhouses, and my whole life I thought let's build to sell, build to sell. And the message I keep receiving in a lot of these podcasts are some of the biggest mistakes these these investors or developers have made over the years. One repeat pattern I hear is they sold they sold too much, or they sold a property they didn't want to sell, or they sold you know that ultimately selling is one of the number one regrets that I seem to hear from people that have that are ahead of me in this game. So I thought to myself, what is, you know, I, I'm, I have a history of projects and renovating homes and building homes. And I like that process. I like creating something. I like processing land into something that is meaningful. And um, what do you build when you like the building process and you don't want to sell that kind of limits what you focus on. And, and beds and sheds or call it rental housing and light industrial are two very attractive uh, you know property types and I'm just drawn more to the rental aspect so uh, the 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 draw into this is creating a commercial asset that you don't want to sell or you can sell one day but it's very desirable to sell um, and the advantage is building housing uh, market rents or affordable is one of the biggest levers you can pull with banks if you qualify and and you know say uh, the land, uh, the land to construction cost ratio on the island where I'll be building, the land is much cheaper over here. If I were doing the same project over here, the land might be forty percent of the cost, but over there it's probably closer to twenty percent of the cost. And ultimately, CMHC wants uh, wants more housing, and there, you know, we're in that process. So I don't know the offer yet, but from some initial conversations. You know, it's a far larger loan than I would get in other asset classes. It's a far more desirable rate. And I'm going to learn an absolute ton about the process, not just about what one, what it takes to qualify for a CMHC loan. My hope is also to gain a track record of doing this. Once you have it, you're going to qualify for more. But um, the energy requirements, for example, you know, if you get a certain energy requirement, that affects your rate. 
You know, if you have a mix of affordable versus market rent, that affects what you qualify for. So there's, it's, it's really interesting for me to understand how they evaluate the loan and, and what those rates look like. And the rates ultimately reflect the product and they encourage you to develop certain things with that. So I, I'm early days, don't have a lot to share yet, but excited to learn. It only seems fitting that Garber and Dumas take up two spots in our top five episodes of 2022. They are very knowledgeable individuals. We brought on Denny, realtor and co-owner of Garbit and Dumas Real Estate Team for the first time on our podcast this year. He shared why experience matters when working with a realtor, what he sees happening in the market, and so much more. Denny also has his own podcast. Visit his social channels included in the show note to see what he's been up to. Here's a clip of our episode with him. So Denny, welcome to the office, man. Welcome to the uh, abode. Uh, second time here, which is really exciting. Totally forgot you came down last time. Now I feel like a total jerk, but <laughs> appreciate you. All good, brother. Thanks very much for having me. I think uh, the first time was early days in the office, so it's nice to see it uh, furnished. You might have a career in design too, buddy. Yeah, minimalist. Looking pretty good. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I like the live edge. <laughs> thank you, sir. Well, I uh, appreciate you coming down, man. And, you know, we will already have done somewhat of an introduction before this, but we always got to fill the gaps. So you are one half of the GND. I'm not going to say which half. <laughs> Garment Duma uh, real estate team. For folks listening to this who aren't interested necessarily in becoming a realtor, but they generally want to understand things from the inside. To break things down, the interesting thing about the real estate industry, and Danny, you can probably speak to this, is the fact that there's not really much in the way of formal training, right? And so when someone's looking to sell their house or buy a house or invest into real estate or do a reno and they're asking the real estate agent for advice, they're just hoping and praying that this person's even seen it before or cares about it and isn't making things up. Now, thankfully, like, you know, guys like you and a lot of other guys that we've talked to are, are pretty stand up and they spend the time, and the energy to learn these things. But I mean, that says a lot, like, you know, for, for a lot of people, they might just walk into the space, sell 10 homes or whatever. And then next thing you know, they're selling your home. Now, that being said, I don't want to beat up any realtors that are selling, you know, they're in their first year or selling their first five because you've got to start somewhere. But it also, I think it, it, it pushes the importance of someone when you're making an educated decision. You don't necessarily want to just pick someone because they've been in it forever. You don't necessarily want to pick someone because they're, you know, brand new or they have a name. But you definitely want to look for someone who can articulate the level of experience, which after, you know, experience of being part of 75 transactions, that could make a big difference in how you advise people and how you talk to people and what you're seeing, right? For sure. Experience is not calculated in number of years. Right. It just simply is not in our industry and on your side too, right? Yep. Experience is calculated in how many things have you seen? How many transactions have you gone through? How many conversations have you had? How many different professionals have you connected with, right? Yeah. Doing four to six transactions, which is the average in Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board, a year for 40 years is not experience. Right. You are out of practice almost, yeah. right? Yeah. Like there was times in, in slow markets, 2019, 2016, after the foreign buyer tax came in, where there'd be re realtors that we were connecting with that hadn't done a transaction in three to six months. And uh, like, especially, it, you know, we're going to talk about interest rates and how they're affecting local markets in the last couple of months. But if... If you haven't 
seen it in many homes, or if you haven't had these conversations on a daily basis, you're just out of practice. And, and where do you learn that stuff? And you really only learn it from like being involved daily. Where we want to circle back is, okay, the experience piece again, and, and the importance to a consumer, a listener, and someone who's investing or buying or whatever that is, and how that comes in. And so when we started talking a few weeks ago, you started sharing uh, some insight into uh, an experience that you went through with a, a home, a renovation, um, that ended up not really making you any money, but you learned a lot about and it kind of opened your eyes into the importance of you going through some of these experiences so you could advise other people, right? Maybe you want to shed some light on that heritage situation there and we can... I'll <laughs> preface it with this. I, I classify realtors in our industry into three categories. One, you're beginning. Everyone starts at zero. Yep. You, it takes a while to learn. You learn through experience, following someone around, shadowing, asking questions, all that kind of stuff. But it takes a couple of years to get competent. Sure. And for lack of a better word, I say competent as like uh, step two. Yeah. And that is you're giving people decent advice. You are able to work your way through a transaction. You know what things to look for in contracts. You know how to negotiate decently. Um but the third step I find that very few get to, and that is just like the above and beyond knowledge of the industry. So yes, that includes like being really good at handling multiple offers and negotiating contracts. Yes, that includes being an exceptional communicator, but it is so important in residential real estate to understand the product that you're selling. Right. And that is construction. That is what is behind the walls. That is how much does it cost to replace a roof or update electrical or change a window or do drain tile, whatever that may be. Yeah. And so that I, I got to step two by following Jamie and doing a ton of sales, right? Yeah. So my first few years, I did a ton of sales and I would say not many people in greater Vancouver and BC did saw and actually transact sold more houses in a single year than I was doing in 2016 and 17. Wow. <clears throat> Not many. Maybe me and Ty Corsi. I don't know. But, <laughs> but We're gonna throw that out to Ty here and see you how he responds. If there's anyone who can give Alex a run for his money for social media content, it's Ty Corsi. Last time he was on the podcast, we focused our conversation on the impact of media and marketing. This episode is much more real estate based. Ty's been in the industry for about 20 years. There's value in working with and talking to someone with experience in many different situations. He shares some of those learnings and insights with us. We asked Ty on his opinion of the places he would purchase or invest in today's market. He then shares his advice for those who are thinking about getting into the market to invest. Here's a clip from that episode. Last time you came on, we pretty much talked about videos. At this point in time, everybody knows you do a lot of videos, so they can go back and listen to that. I think more than you. Yeah, I think you probably <laughs> do wild. more videos than me. Like we should look that up one day and figure out, how, like comparatively over a period of time, how many uploads you do, but I think you beat me for sure. The video stuff aside, you've been a real estate agent, high performing real estate agent uh, for the better part of 14? Uh, 20. 20. This is my 20th year. Really? So I've seen three wow. full shifts of the market. Okay. Uh, 2003 to four, we saw a shift. Yeah. 2008, we saw a bit of a shift. And uh, 2018, kind of a bit of a shift. So 2008 was the biggest shift. Talking about um, opportunity changes, why we should be concerned or not concerned about the market, whether you're a buyer, whether you're a seller, whether you're a realtor, whoever's you know, listening in on that. There's a lot of people just, whenever this happens, they're confused, stressed out, concerned um, about what's the impact going to be to my, my, my livelihood, my pocketbook. 
um, my goals, everything. Everybody's just concerned and worried. And I think that's because like pretty much every Canadian has a lot of their money tied up in a home or they want to have their yes. money tied up in a home. I think um, what we experienced over the last you know, 14, 15 months was bound to come to a stop. I mean, it could not keep going so fast, right? Mm. Uh, I, we sit down with people all the time and we do tell them we come into houses. I mean, not to worry. We do live one of the best places in the world. And if I was to be in British Columbia, if I was in Canada, I want to be on the West Coast. Everybody wants to be on the West Coast. Hence why values just continue to be here. Buyers want to be here. But what we saw come to a halt, um, it eventually had to. So I think we're in this bit of this period right now where sellers are realizing the new normal and buyers are starting to figure out where's the bottom, right? And I think we're starting to see it curve back the other way just because of uh, the confidence that's coming back into some buyers. They realize that the interest rate might go up again in another couple weeks, and um, they're just comfortable jumping back in. And I'm finding the past few weeks have been a bit of a question mark, but this week and into next week, just with talking to some buyers, they're ready to go. They're ready to get out there, which is exciting stuff seeing that a place that you can buy right now is six figures less than what it was three weeks ago. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And it, you know what blows my mind how quickly this change actually happened? I don't even know how to explain it, but it was over the course of probably two to three weeks, right, where we started to see it. And we see it with our clients, but you probably see it even more with yours because you have to set the expectation of sellers and buyers, right? Right. So probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last six weeks has probably been the hardest, no? Well, let's... Of trying to change people's mindsets and expectations of what they can expect, buyers and sellers. Expectations is a big one with sellers, right? Over the last 15 months, we didn't have any more than three listings at any given time. And uh, now we're operating with 16 active listings. So that tells you that uh, inventory is just stacking up and sellers are now starting to realize that this is the new normal. Like it has to happen for weeks. I always feel like a market shift in 20, uh, 2008, this is very similar. That market shift took about six months for sellers to realize this is the new norm and to buyers to get back in. I think this will be a lot quicker here because there are a lot more buyers that are here and coming here. So I think ours will be a really quick. Mm, mm. So we were on a, 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 to preface and to not date stamp this too hard, because I think what we really want to focus in on this part is about now you having experienced multiple different changing markets. And I mean, we could talk all day long about why there's a changing market, but I mean, there are right now, or there were for a few weeks of time, a lot more uh, listings, so I don't know if you know the stats or anything like that, but wasn't it like in, in the Vancouver, uh, lower mainland, wasn't it three times the amount? Over yeah, the we've period had of oh, like three times come on to, in the last two, three weeks. Compared to what, a month before that? or Yeah, not yeah. even 30 days ago. That's how quick it shifted, as, as Derek mentioned, right? The shift was fast. Yeah. Um, but as I was mentioning the other day to Royal LePage, in this market right now, if I was to sit down with a buyer or somebody that wants to move up, this is the best market to move up. And you're going to save fifty dollars to $100,000 moving up in each category. I was chatting with you yesterday. Yep. For example, two-bedroom condos were selling over 600000 Now they're under 600000 the average condo. You can move up from a condo to a townhome and save about hundred grand because townhomes have come down one hundred and fifty from their peak. So if your condo's down 50 and you can move up to something, you're going to save 50 grand by moving up. And if you want to go up to a detached home, those are down about 250 from the peak. So if your townhome's down 100 and that's down 250, you're going to save 100 by moving up. So it mm. sounds kind of odd, but you'll save more money by moving up. So this is a perfect market to move up. Mm. And I think part of the reason 
like the why behind that is as you start to get into more expensive properties, there's not as many people, there's not a, as big of a pool of buyers that can actually qualify or afford those properties, right? So you start talking about $5 million homes in West Vancouver, like there's a very limited market. Those properties can see a dramatic dip, right? Oh, you, Derek, you see the, the I would say the two plus range, yeah. like the stuff that was two five, that can shift to two like that. Yeah. And that's just because it's less buyers. Mm. So there, there's so much opportunity to move up yeah. for somebody that's sitting there on the fence wondering when is the time? Mm. You know what's going to happen? The time's going to happen where everybody's going to jump back in and the same thing's going to happen again. It's going to go up quicker than you can get in. Once again, thanks for listening throughout 2022. If you've been with us for longer, thank you for 2021 and beyond. We'll continue to bring you more content in the new year. Next week, we're going to be back with regular episodes with episode 149. We can't wait to see you next Tuesday. Help us get 2023 started and leave us those reviews. Happy New Year from the Thrive and YVR Remo Show team. Can't wait to see you soon.